Hello and you're very welcome back to the Clan Terrace View, a rugby-centric podcast brought to you from the west of Ireland. This is Philip Smith. And coming up this episode, later we talk Super Rugby with Mike Kerr. But first, it's Connacht, the Pro 14, Ireland and the Barbarians with Mark Kennedy. Welcome back. Thanks, Philip. The only news we can start with today, Joey Carberry has signed a deal to move from Leinster to Munster. Five number 10s now on the roster at Munster. Uh, f- five into three doesn't go. How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, it was a pretty intriguing subplot uh, the last few weeks uh, with Joey Carberry. We've had a few kind of recent rumours in, tra- in terms of him or Ross Byrne maybe heading closer as well, but I think the announcement today has really kind of put the cat among the pigeons, really. It's a, I think first and foremost, it's a brave move from Carberry's perspective, I mean, considering the team that he's leaving. Team that's at the pinnacle of their powers, you know, Leinster winning the European Cup and uh, Pro 14 uh, this month. I mean, a very difficult decision, I would imagine, but I think maybe necessitated by the fact of uh, maybe national team selection for World Cup in 2019. He needs to be playing game time, particularly at the 10 channel. And given the fact that Ross Byrne seems to be ahead of him in the depth chart in Leinster, I think there was a kind of a really kind of good argument for maybe Carberry to move elsewhere. I mean, it's always a difficult decision. I mean, he's from a tie, you know, you know, granted he spent early use in New Zealand, but he's Kildare uh, lad and, I mean, obviously a tough decision to leave your home province, but, I mean, opportunity gained from a Munster rugby perspective because, you know, I think the 10th challenge really at the business end of the season uh, left a little bit to be desired uh, and I think Carberry can only provide massive upside for Munster. I mean, the prospect of Conor Murray and Joey Carberry and the halfback partnership, particularly in European Cup games next season, seems quite exciting. But I think it's going to elevate whoever is um, also going to be in the 10 channel competition. I mean, you have Hanron, uh, Keighley, uh, Glenn Tell, and then you have the up and coming uh, Bill Johnson as well. So, again, as you say, Philip, five uh, players now are going to be in that 10 channel. I think I would be expecting at least one to be kind of departing um, and it's going to be very interesting to see who that person is I mean I don't see Bill, Bill Johnston for instance being kind of subject to requirements he's still very young and an up and coming prospect that will probably get pre-season games with Munster so then you're kind of focusing in here on a little bit on the likes of the Keekleys JJ Hammerhands and the Tyler Bledenthal so Again, I think one from those three may be kind of asked to maybe move, maybe potentially a move up north to Ulster. I know they're looking for uh, fly half uh, kind of options at the moment. So, I mean, that could be kind of a viable option there. But again, it's a very exciting move. Uh, I mean, Carberry provides an awful lot of potential and talent to the table. I mean, still probably not to finish article in terms of 10, given his lack of game time. But I think from his pro 14 final cameo, I think you can see his ability with ball in hand. Uh, purely because of the setup to, of the, that Jack Conan try. It was a superb line break from Carberry. So, this is what he can provide. He can provide a little bit of an X factor here at the 10 channel. I mean, it's going to elevate the game of Munster as well. So, it's a nice, timely boost for everyone concerned with Munster. Yeah, very impressive. Bit of a spark when he came off the bench in the, the Pro 14 win against Scarlets. And, of course, what are we, 18 months out from the 29 World Cup? Uh, he really has to get game time at number 10 if he is to be uh, the, the backup plan to, to Johnny Sexton. Obviously, the, the number of out-haves and the books that you alluded to. Keatley has a two-year deal, we understand, running up to 2019. So he is contracted. I'm, I'm not clear on the contract status of, of JJ Hanrahan or indeed the injury status of Tyler Blaendal, who you know obviously had 
extensive injury problems since he joined the province and was out for for the majority of this year. Uh, so interesting decisions to come for for Munster at, at ten. I definitely think so. I mean, again, argument here maybe from a Munster rugby perspective, they did deploy JJ Hanrahan as fullback now. Personally, I wouldn't think that's his decision. From a Munster rugby perspective, you do have a number of candidates there, and Haley, Fitzgerald, and Conroy to fill that position. I mean, I think JJ did sign a long-term contract there last summer as well. Uh, I suppose all questions on Tyler Bledenthal as well. It's that neck injury again that's been discouraged for him again this season. So it'll be very interesting to see if he can kind of emerge uh, from, you know, his injury woes again. Again, you know, it could be a case of, you know, five out halves. But I think in the current climate of professional rugby, I mean, five tens, it's, it doesn't seem viable anyway because I think there's going to be one or two guys that are going to be sitting on a bench or playing for Munster away when they could be playing rugby elsewhere for other professional clubs. So I think there could be a few candid conversations being had uh, by existing um, squad members in that 10 channel with Johan van Grand in the next couple of weeks before pre-season to see where they are in terms of pecking order. So again, you know, it could be a blend towel, it could be very easily Keekley as well. Particularly Keekley has aspirations to be in that uh, World Cup squad as well. So again, a key season next season. So does he kind of make a move up north? Uh, that could be mo- the most viable option as well. So it's all kind of it's all kind of delicately poised here at Munster anyway. But again, the Carberry arrival is really going to kind of you know increase probably the playing um, the play of all the tens that are kind of going to be assembled in the squad. And I mean the sheer battling. Uh, qualities here week in week out in the training paddock to get on that 23 man squad it can only be good news particularly for Johan van Gran and the management so um, all very exciting news for Munster anyway kind of on the back of a pretty disappointing playoff kind of uh, campaign really as well at the back end of the season so at least it's energised the fans maybe sell a few more season tickets as well down in Toan Park and in Independent Park and of course, ten channel was the the topic of much debate in in those semi final exits in the knockout stages this year. No time duration on the on the signing announced, but there was speculation earlier in the week of a one year deal, which I didn't see at all happening, making no sense to anybody from a from a, a duration point of view. Um, two years was speculated upon last night on some of the media outlets, and that would really seem to be the, the minimum that somebody would be signing for I would think so too you know in the modern climate of professional rugby I don't think any player is going to join a professional team just for 12 months I mean he doesn't give a chance to the player first off to impress uh, either his players colleagues management and fans or that like I would think that's probably a two year contract the other flip side to that is maybe what's the status Johnny Sexton after 2019 could be a case of, you know, Johnny might be considering kind of retirement. I doubt it very much, to be honest. So I think a two-year contract would be the most viable here. And I think as well as Carberry's kicking accuracy as well will be probably a most welcome boost for Munster. I was kind of reading a statistic there on the Pro 14 regular season. Munster were at the bottom of the table in terms of uh, their penalty kicking. They were only at 67%, which is they were languishing fairly pretty dismally uh, down the pecking order there. Uh, the average teams were averaging 76 to 87, 88% uh, under kick success. So again, Carby has an accurate kind of kicking game as well, particularly off the tee and, you know, in vital moments on, on the season here in Munster, we're kind of lacking that kind of conviction in terms of kicking off the tee. So, I mean, Carby will bring an awful lot to the table. 
yeah, the numbers don't lie. Uh, despite getting to semi-finals, there, there's still a lot of uh, improvement to be done on, on certain aspects of, of that squad. Let's talk briefly about Connacht. Uh, you you weren't uh, with us last week, Mark, when we discussed the, the, the appointment of Andy Friend. Obviously, a, a, a new name to, to a lot of Connacht people obviously will be very well known at this stage. His career has been well articulated this past week in, in the media in terms of his time, both in Super Rugby, where he was assistant, and both at the Waratahs and Brumbies, and came back as head coach to the Brumbies later, spent head coach time in the UK as well, not just in the Southern Hemisphere, also up in Europe for uh, from 2005 to 2008 at Harlequins, was also in Japan, and at the Rugby World Cup under Eddie Jones for the Wallabies and most recently the head coach of the Australian Sevens team. On paper, it seems to be a quite a rounded CV in terms of experience, not just in one hemisphere, different styles and you know different different styles, obviously, with the, with the Sevens experience. What do you make of the, the new signing? What I heard is I was kind of uh, a little bit surprised. I thought maybe a nice Carlin. You know, Mike Ruddock, guys like that would be in the reckoning. But um, in fairness, when you look at the resume of Andy Friend, um, it's it's a very solid resume in terms of his Super Rugby experience, being an assistant head coach, obviously traveling to Northern Hemisphere, managing Harlequins. Then you have the the Sevens um, kind of efforts there from a, a Australian rugby perspective. It's a very solid resume, and I think the one thing that exudes uh, from Andy Friend is. Um, there won't be short of excitement in terms of Connacht Rugby next season. He likes the expansive style of play. Again, it's the details of Connacht Rugby, particularly with the Pat Lamb era and, you know, to a lesser extent with Kieran Keane. But again, you know, his game plan and his kind of philosophy on the game will be kind of very attack-minded, mobility at the breakdown, quick rock ball. So, I mean, and also I think it's a great boost for players that are coming in from Australia. The likes of the Goodwins and the Horowitzes as well that are coming in that may have had a little bit of uncertainty around their futures at Connacht. With a guy like Andy Fender, who is a very knowledgeable rugby man in terms of Australian rugby, super rugby, I think these guys can be can settle into the Connacht rugby style of things in pre-season uh, with a bit more confidence. So, I mean, it's a solid signing. And I think the one thing, Philip, uh, that he seems to be bringing right from the get-go is his kind of um, activity on social media platforms. So much like a Bernard Jackman personality. I mean, as soon as the, the announcement was made, it was off all the well-wishers, and he basically was thanking everyone individually. And I reckon, you know, he's kind of involvement with the community as well which may have been cited as kind of a Kieran Keane kind of Achilles heel. I think uh, Andy Friend will definitely embrace the Connacht culture, particularly around Galway and surrounding areas, and I think we'll see him an awful lot in community-based kind of activities. But he won't be afraid to basically kind of um, speak in terms of, you know, he's accessibility to his fans as well. So um, I know he was kind of in contact with me as well on Twitter, which I was rather surprised about that head coaches would have a little bit more time to be doing other things. But again, it kind of shows the, the kind of... Um, uh, the man himself, you know, he's very kind of knowledgeable in terms of the game, and you know, he, he gives everyone um, an opportunity to impress. And I think the fact that he's here for day one of preseason is absolutely huge 
for Connacht. Remember Kieran Keane last season, all he came in towards the latter end of the preseason, wasn't able to make an accurate assessment or a read on the squad. So, I mean, Andy Friend will be able to evaluate the squad over an 8 to 10, 12 week period in preseason. So, all to play for for Connacht. And I think, you know, it's the appointment was kind of had to be made now. And the fact that Andy Friend is coming in and literally. Uh, We'll have his hold back on the team from day one. I think can only be good things for Connacht. Indeed, putting his best foot forward on the on the communication front. Anyway, lots of outreach already, even while still down under. So we're expecting uh, the arrival by the end of June, I believe, in time for for pre-season. So exciting times ahead, by all accounts, and I I, I think people are excited about the you know the ability to to match that type of style from the coaching staff with the obvious ability of the players who have demonstrated, not least on the, the, the final game of the season against Leinster, that they have the wherewithal to execute that style of game. So lots of uh, things to look forward to at the sports ground. Other activity on the Pro 14 circuit news today that uh, Edinburgh are going to build a new purpose-built stadium on the site of, on the grounds of Murrayfield, right alongside the Scottish National Stadium. Of course, they've been playing their home games in that stadium, which is like a, you know, a, a, a marvellous amphitheatre on the day of a Six Nations game, but sadly atmospheric less when, you know, there's a few thousand people rattling around the bottom tier. But a 7,800, 7,800 capacity 3G playing surface with covered stands on all sides on the grounds of Murrayfield can only be a good thing for, for Scottish rugby. Again, yeah, it's a, it's great news. It's a great day for Scottish rugby. I think it's great news again for Edinburgh uh, rugby as well. I mean, such a progressive season under Richard Cockrell and now the infrastructure has been built behind that on the back of the success of the team and I think they're suspecting to be in moved into that new stadium, correct me if I'm wrong, in the 2019 season. So, you know, very exciting times for anyone involved with Edinburgh. They're going in the right direction. Uh, and now the 3G pitch, I'd say any of the Scarlet's players that are playing on the 3G pitch and Glasgow Warriors will be uh, saying, oh no, not another 3G pitch here, you know, given all the, the cuts and grazes that they had. But again, you know, it, it's it, it'll be nice. It'll be a nice venue. Particularly, you know, just you know, next door to Murrayfield as well on the back pitches as well. So, you know, um, it would be you know well received by everyone in the community, and uh, best of luck with everyone uh, involved with Edinburgh Rugby on that venture. Yeah, not least the fans having been down to to a number of matches at Myrside and you know a, an old historic ground, but in need of uh, mass rejuvenation. Great to see the investment and the the facilities coming on stream for for a Pro 14 side that is uh, moving in the right direction in the form of Edinburgh with Richard Cockerell at the at the helm. So still on the Pro 14, going back to Connacht, we had a number of Connacht players involved in the Trifest that was the Barbarians game last weekend in Twickenham. Uh, quite the spectacle and a, a great opportunity for at least Dennis Buckley got the, the the first half and a little bit of the second, but also for Alton Delan and Nia Dialokan to to show what they can do with a with a bit of flair. Yeah, no, it was an incredible game. I mean, the exhibition stuff, and I know it was probably a weekend England to outfit, considering that yeah, the Saracens and the Exeter Chief contingents. Uh, playing in the Premiership final the day before, but 
Let's take nothing away from the Barbarians. Some of the moves and the line breaks were absolutely sensational. Um, again, I think with the comic contingent here, I think every one of them can hold their head up extremely high. They all played at an extremely high level. I was delighted for the likes of Dennis Buckley. Also, and Delano as well, providing kind of a timely reminder to maybe Joe Smith and the national team that he's getting into, you know, form. I mean, it's been a very difficult season for Olsen for a number of reasons. So, but again, it was great to see him play an active part in the game. And also, Adil Loken as well was, you know, very prompt as well in line breaks. But I suppose the key guy from the Barbarians and all the headlines from an English media perspective were on that man, Chris Ashton. You know, he got three very quick tries in that opening period. Um, you know, it was absolutely superb. I thought the line break from Tui Sova for his first one was just absolutely incredible. How he basically stripped the pace of Mike Brown, you know, not doesn't happen that often. But again, you know, Ashton's kind of ability to basically support the line runner was on point throughout. And, you know, he had three very quick tries. Vito as well had two tries. Again, it was very much exhibition stuff here. I mean, England did have their kind of moments as well, but again, Barbarians and Sherdicky see um, the guys that they had on the bench, like in McAllister, Sekitoa, Takuri, you know, Pulisic. Uh, now it's just incredible the side that was there. And when you bear in mind that Bundy, Bundy Akai was, um, you know, destined to captain the Barbarians as well. You know, and then he cried off late. You were kind of thinking, oh, there might be a little bit of a kind of a, you know, weak point there, but not a not a chance. I mean, the Barbarians were just absolutely exquisite on the day. And then, you know, like I said, Russell there kind of game managing at 10. So an awful lot of food for thought, I think, for uh, Eddie Jones, particularly on the French guys that they had. But again, the likes of Francis as well. He scored two tries for England, I suppose, is probably the highlight. Um, but again, it was all to do with the, the Barbarians and Ashton. Really, he was the kind of the headline maker. Really, so again, incredible game, and I think the Connacht lads can be very proud of their involvement in that fixture. And the the thing that struck me was just the sheer enjoyment of the players. You could sense, for even from the TV pictures, the 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 fun they were having, the smiles in the faces, the shackles were off, and they were they were out to play. And and some of the the offloads, the over the head offload from. Um, Justin Tuperick for oh, one yeah, of the tries exactly. was just off this planet. Absolutely incredible. It was just amazing. It was an amazing piece of skill from Justin Tuperick. You know, uh, the guy has been absolutely sensational towards the latter end of the season. I mean, it was an incredible offload. And, you know, it's a fitting way as well. I think Fernandez Lobo, that was his last uh, game as a professional, wasn't it? So, again, what a fitting way for Fernandez Lobo. I mean, a magnificent servant for. Uh, every, for several clubs in Europe but also for Argentina you know to basically play in a spectacle like that as well so again it was a fitting fitting occasion yeah if you haven't seen it or you haven't had a chance to, to get onto YouTube you've got to look at um, that offload that we've just talked about by Justin Tipperick and it seems to be the new way to sign off for your back row forwards these days in your swan song uh, you know stand up and kick the conversion of the the last kick in the game just like john muldoon did we had uh, juan martin fernando labe doing the same thing for the barbarians and straight up the middle right over the black dot perfect kick from from the the back row forward absolutely you wouldn't know you from argentina would you <laughs> So fabulous stuff from the Barbarians last weekend. Let's talk about the Ireland squad. Obviously, we had the announcement last week, and you know it was well documented. With you know dominated by by Leinster, obviously with with sixteen or seventeen players. Um, obviously, an Ulster, Munster, and Connacht contingent in there as well. 
really along uh, expected lines you know no real surprises that the two additions were were well flagged really at least Ty Byrne for sure now that he's you know assigned as a Munster player and and playing for a home province and Ross Byrne seemed to be the, the you know the the obvious candidate to go along with him there's been one change this week um Rory Best is out with a hamstring so Niall Scannell who was probably one of the ones that felt a little bit maybe that he might have expected a phone call, I guess, maybe ahead of Rob, Rob Herring. Um, but Scandal is in and, and talk of with the captain out of joint captaincy between Jonathan Sexton and Peter O'Mahony. What, what do you make of the squad, Mark? I think the squad, um, I was surprised with the continuity of the squad first off. I thought there might be a few additional, a few additions to the lineup, really. Um, but obviously, Josh Smith has been is very satisfied in terms of his current squad makeup. Um, again, it's a pretty solid outfit. I mean, when you kind of add like a tight burn, who will be a big upgrade for Ireland as well in terms of his performance with Scarlets this season has been nothing short of sensational. I mean, he can fill kind of the second row, and also his capability at eight as well has been much lauded and six. Uh, again, Rory Best not going on the tour. I think we know what Rory Best brings to the table. His leadership, his work rate, his set piece, uh, set piece execution. I think it's a nice opportunity to kind of see the depth chart here from a hooker perspective. And I suppose now Scammell gets his call up. Um, I can probably disagree with you a little bit, uh, Philip, in terms of Scammell had a very injury ravaged season. And I think, you know, I, I think a few performances, particularly that semi final in against Racing 92, didn't do him any great favours. But he gets his chance anyway. You have the likes of Sean Cronin as well, who will be chomping at the bit to get some serious game time, particularly in the test matches, to really kind of hammer home, um, you know, to Joe Smith that, you know, that he could be primed for um, significant game time in World Cup 2019. So, I mean, best out, but again, Scammell won't let the side down either. I mean, you're kind of looking through the rest of the, um, the side here and no weak links whatsoever, um, to be honest. Uh, again, you know, looking kind of at the back row as well, it's going to be very intriguing to see who will actually start. I mean, you have like Samani, Dan Reavy, um, you know, Jordy Murphy, guys like that. I mean, it'll be very interesting to see with Ian Henderson as well. His fitness was kind of, you know, highlighted at the end of the season, particularly on that Ospreys playoff. I'm just wondering the fitness concerns there from the Ulster uh, second row. So, again, there might be another opportunity for another person to maybe travel out with the party. But, Again, you kind of looking at the the side here. It's very consistent. Continuity being key here. I don't think Schmidt's looking to basically experiment too much here. I think he's looking to kind of continue the good form of Six Nations. And again, he's play, uh, playing an Australian side who, let's say, said I think are kind of at a low ebb at the moment. Taking their Super Rugby kind of performances haven't really suggested much. And you know, there's been an awful lot of doom and doom, doom and gloom there in Australian rugby. So again, this Ireland squad well equipped to you know win a Test series down under. Was there a case to be made for leaving uh, Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray at home? Obviously, one of the goals, we touched on this last week, one of the goals has to be to, to develop a backup plan there. So you would have to think that Sexton, while he may be in Australia, you have to have Carberry and Ross Byrne starting at least a test each in in June. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think... If we get anything out of this Australian uh, tour, um, we really need to identify our depth chart, particularly from a 9-10 perspective. I know we've kind of alluded to the hooker position as well, Rory Best not being there. 
but I think some of the guys in that are pretty seasoned. I think the real kind of mystery here is in terms of the 9 and 10 depth chart. And again, I was a little bit surprised that Luke McGrath didn't feature, but obviously there might be some end-of-season knee surgery for Luke McGrath, or you, you just never know there, but his omission was a surprise to me. But then again, it gives a glorious opportunity for like the Kieran Marmion of Connacht to really kind of stake his claim as a kind of a backup kind of scrum half here. And also John Cooney as well, who's had an absolutely scintillating season with Ulster Rugby as well. So again, the 10 channel as well, Ross Byrne comes into the fold. I mean, I think Ross Byrne next season, you know, to be on a summer tour like this with Ireland can only improve the player. And I think Leinster has shown great faith in uh, Ross Byrne in terms of his depth chart. You know, he was playing against Munster in the Pro 14 semi-final, so he's highly regarded. He finished, uh, he was uh, ahead of uh, Joy Carby in selection. So Schmidt has to kind of play him as well to see what he's like in terms of a test match environment. Again, Sexton, I think we know what it brings to the table. But again, from a 10 perspective, looking at Carberry, looking at the Ross Burns, you know, looking at the Marions and the Coonies, we really need to find out what these guys are made of, particularly on a road trip to Australia. So again, hopefully we'll be able to see relevant game time for all these guys and really we should hopefully see a paint a picture on uh, who's got to be back up for Sexton, who's got to be back up for Murray, particularly in the halfbacks and particularly with Sexton, you know, he's kind of one head away from there I say, you know, getting you know, getting ruled out of the game. You know, it's so we're we're kinda of looking at our kind of um, alternatives here. So interesting times ahead in this tour. Yeah, and Ireland aren't the only people with, with troubles at Hooker. The Australian squad that was announced by Michael Checa this week has three youngsters at number two that have only two test caps between the three of them. So obviously uh, lots of experimentation going on. They have a 21-year-old from the Rebels, a 22-year-old um, from the Reds and uh, a 23-year-old from the Brumbies. So looking to establish some some future talent at number two, at least for Australia. But the rest of the squad, a lot of experienced names in there that we'll all recognise, captain by Michael Hooper. But like you've got Curtly Beale, Israel Falau, despite all the hoo-ha about him on social media, Bernard Foley, Will Genia. So plenty of experience in there as well. But one that did catch the eye, and I, I see it commented on a lot in Australian media circles, is the the rookie from the Melbourne Rebels, Jack Maddox, who's come in. He can play in, uh, he's played both full back and wing, and he's been ripping it up, I think, with for the Rebels in, in Super Rugby this year. Absolutely. You know, it's, a, it's a nice blend of youth and experience, but again, they've, I think the Super Rugby games up until, I think, the June 2nd this weekend coming, uh, they've only a week really to prepare, um, you know, for uh, the first test match in Brisbane against Ireland so I think that will be a significant kind of uh, blocker for Michael Check in these preparations again I think even the young guys you know the rookies that you've alluded to in the hooker position you know you know, they're, they're not going to let this side down in terms of their effort and their application um, so it'll be very interesting to see particularly the breakdown battle I think you know like some Polcock guys like that you know it'll be pretty immense I'm looking forward to seeing Jack Maddox actually I've seen a bit of him with the Melbourne Rebels you know he's a very versatile back plays full back and play on the wing as well and you know he's very very impressive with ball in hand so again it'll be interesting to see he's kind of aerial defensive um, uh, ability because definitely the likes of Sexton and his game plan will be testing him out in that respect so again 
you know, it, it is a, a team, you know, loaded with talent as well, like Sikorti Beal, Israel Folau, Bernard Foley, Wilgenia. I mean, these are all household names. So Kudradrani as well, abrasive kind of centre as well. So, again, it will be very interesting to see, you know, Ireland in terms of their pack. Can they impose a little bit of dominance here and a little bit of inexperience, particularly in that front five? So, um, so yeah, it's going to be intriguing. And, I mean, you would think that Ireland might have a, a potential advantage going into Brisbane considering kind of the time that they've spent together in terms of preparing for that first test compared to Australia who do actually have a super rugby fixture list scheduled for June 2nd so it's um so it'd be a significant advantage I would think for Ireland there in that first test yeah great excitement to look forward to first game on the 9th of June in Brisbane heading then down to Victoria to Melbourne on the 16th and the final and third test in Sydney back in New South Wales on the 23rd for Ireland as they go head to head against the Wallabies Mark thank you so much for joining us on the Clan Terrace View Hello again and you're very welcome back to the Clan Terrace View, a rugby-centric podcast brought to you from the West of Ireland. This is Philip Smith and I'm delighted to say, as usual, we're joined from Queenstown, New Zealand by Mike Carr. Good evening, Mike. Yeko, how are you doing? Great. We're uh, we're basking in sunshine up here in Ireland this week. Uh, hit 28 degrees in, in the middle of Galway City yesterday. It's a little bit chillier with you, I imagine. Thursday morning we had a couple of inches of snow on the ground when we woke up but that's all good news for the ski fields because it was a huge dump up there and fields is opening on Saturday. Plenty of rain and soggy weather at the AMI Stadium in Christchurch on Friday night where the uh, Crusaders reinforced why they're uh, real contenders to retain their title. Uh, Horrendous conditions poured with rain throughout the whole match. The, The Crusaders forward pack were were fantastic without their stars. Just cleaned the Hurricanes up, really. Um, not, uh, not, not a good night for us Hurricanes fans. We, we, we didn't really fire a shot, um, whereas the Crusaders just, just made every post a winner. Couple of, couple of unknown guys in their forward pack. Yeah, a, a young lock by the name of Quinton Strange, 21-year-old. He, he, he had a good match, so uh, he, was in, he was in the New Zealand uh, under-20 side that, that won the World Championship a couple of years ago. Scott Barrett, the other lock, um, he, 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 had a, he had a good game and for mine, man of the match. And a couple of a couple of guys that you probably haven't heard of up there, Hayden Bedwell-Curtis at number eight, um, had a good game. And Pete Samu, who's been, been playing for the Crusaders with their injuries um, in the loose forwards as well, had a good game. And he's off to play for the Melbourne Storm next year, born in Melbourne. Um, so there is talk that he'll be in the Australian squad this coming up June in the June uh, International. So that's been a bit of a talking point here. Um, another one of our players who, who's still on contract with New Zealand Rugby, um, possibly going to play for Australia. So a good one for the Crusaders, puts them well at the top of the table. We also had the Hyogawaris having their sixth win on the trot uh, over the Sharks in Buenos Aires. Sharks are a pretty good side, so that's a that's another good win for them. Six on the trot, um, second on the South African Conference um, behind the line. So, yeah, good going for them. We saw the Highlanders squeak home against the Reds. Had to, uh, Once Aaron Smith came off the bench and, and got things going, they were able to come home late in the game and win that one. Uh, the, uh, to me, the, the big surprise, the Brumbies getting up over the Bulls in Pretoria. It's hard to win in Pretoria, 38-28. to 28, And they had a player sent off the Brumbies. Um, Falau Fainga was, was sent off for a headbutt. I don't know if you've seen that uh, at all. Um, and they scored two tries while they were down to 14 men. So um, that's a that's quite a surprise, that one there. Uh, the other game in the South African Conference, um, 
the, the Lions getting up over the Storm is 26-23, so the Lions cementing their place at the top of the um, top of the conference. And that was pretty much it for the weekend, really. Some good good games. Crusaders, uh, uh, you know, with a weakened pack, just shows how much depth they've got and, and their ability to bring young guys through. Uh, Scott Robinson mentioned that that was the best win he's had in his coaching career, the best performance by any of his sides. And he's won a few competitions as coach, so yeah. And what about the Waratahs? Went down 39-27 to the Chiefs. The Waratahs had been going well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, so Hamilton, Chiefs are hard to beat in Hamilton. You know, it's usually a bit, bit wet and cold and at this time of the year. And um, by all, I didn't see the match, but by all accounts, uh, Brody Retallick had an absolute blinder. Um, such an impressive athlete, that guy. Such a big motor. He, he just seems to go and go and go. And for a for a 6'10 lock, he's, he's got some got some jolly good skills as well so and uh, young uh, McKenzie at first five eighth or you call it standoff he'd been playing fullback for a number of years um, he's still a young fella he's going quite well at, at standoff as well so yeah good win for the for the Chiefs. You mentioned the red card in the in the Brumbies game there was another red card for the, the Sharks captain Ruan Bota I saw he shoulder charged a Jaguares player in the rock in the 74th minute but the thing that caught my eye was he, uh, the citing commission or whoever dishes out the, the, the penalties to, to folks that get suspended. Uh, he got four weeks of a ban starting Monday, but he won't miss any matches because their next Super Rugby match is on June 30. So is that a, a regular happening? He's not involved in the, in the, in the Springbok June tests. Yeah, so if he if he was if he was a Springbok, he would be missing matches. So uh, what what I, I don't know how it works there in South Africa, but what happens here in New Zealand in these cases, and it's a bit ridiculous, is that the uh, player would say, well, the four games will be the next four weeks, which which would be club games, um, you know, for their local small club. Um, but in, usually they don't play those games anyway. But in the case of a suspension, they say they would have played. Yeah, so that is a bit. Uh, yeah, you get weeks, um, but not weeks in the competition that the infringement happened. Just any any weeks, and it, 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 and it is a bit of a no, an, another anomaly. Yeah, there we. It's, it's, it's been like that for years. Yes, yeah. players tend to not miss big matches. They 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 sit their suspension out in small matches that that they may not have even played. A bit of a slap on the wrist, and he'll be back for the for the next round of Super Rugby games. Yeah. You mentioned the uh, the New Zealand camp um, earlier in the week. I saw the uh, the uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this uh, Lao Mape, the Highlander. Oh, yeah, Nani Lao Mape, that's good. Uh, yeah. no, that's good. Well, He's no. been talking in some of the media. I saw about the the assistant coaches in Hurricanes. People we'd be very very familiar with in this part of the world, namely Jason Holland, who used to play centre for Munster here in Ireland back in the yeah, yeah, yeah. 2000s, and of course ex Ireland's forwards coach John Plumtree, who I believe are both in line to take over at yeah yeah John Plumtree John John Plumtree's Plumtree has already been appointed to to that role yeah he um he he actually played club rugby uh, in Wellington um and and for the Wellington province uh. Um, you know, back in the day, um, but he's actually South African, John John Plumtree, um, and he coached. Uh, I believe he coached the Lions for a period of time over there. A friend of mine um, uh, did some work in his house the other day in, in Wellington and said he's got two teenage sons and they are absolutely huge lads. So uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see them in Hurricanes jerseys 
Yeah, of course, Chris, Chris Chris Boyd is the the current head coach, and he's off at yes. the end of the season to take up a role in Northampton, um, in right. the East Midlands in the UK. So interesting times for um, John Plumtree taking over as head coach, and and Jason Holland, who we used to always call as Jason Dutchy Holland. Dutchy Dutchy is good enough for us. He was uh, he was maybe not the most the fastest centre in the world, but his rugby brain. He was so intelligent on the pitch in terms of um, running lines and making space for people. Very well regarded in this part of the world, and I'm sure plenty of Munster supporters will be following his fortunes at the Hurricanes. Any news going on with the the All Blacks? They were in training camp this week. No, it it ha- it has been pretty quiet, really. Um, not, not much going on at all, except for Sam Whitelock and Sam Kane uh, not not training. So Sam Kane has been out injured uh, for quite some time. So it's uh, it, it's possible that he won't actually play these June tests either. So um, you know the the All Blacks could be trotting out a, a relatively inexperienced loose forward trio with with him and Kieran Reid both out. Um, but not a lot not a lot coming out of there really. Um, um, one thing I've noticed is, um, today is that Jason Woodward has been drafted into the England team. He's uh, he, he's he's a former Hurricanes Wellington and Upper Hutt player. So Upper Hutt's a, a town on the outskirts of Wellington where I grew up. Um, so so Jason Woodward um, is, is from that club and the other player from that club, uh, Corey Jane, another winger, um, to come out of there. We, we don't we don't have too many famous players coming out of Upper Hutt, but another one who captained the club and was coaching it, uh, although he wasn't the official coach, he was coaching whilst playing, and they won a championship in Wellington, which I think it's the only one the club has ever won, is uh, Dave Rennie. So that was in the uh, that was back in the late 80s. Yeah, he... Indeed, and of course, Dave Rennie will be familiar to folks here as the, the current head coach at Glasgow Warriors, who were strong contenders for the, uh, the Pro 14 playoffs this year, but came up short um, in the semi-final against Clenetley Scarlets, but playing a very uh, attractive attacking brand of rugby backed up by a very tough, tough as teak pack. So earning a, a name for himself in the Northern Hemisphere on top of what he's achieved with the with the Chiefs and others down, down south. Coming up this week, we've got um, uh, Highlanders Hurricanes Friday night in, in, under the roof at, in Dunedin. Um, that... That should be a close match because uh, Hurricanes not really hitting their straps in the last few weeks. So um, that, that'll be an even match, you would say. Hard to pick. Um, and then we've got the Blues Rebels uh, in, in Auckland, uh, the Melbourne Rebels. Uh, they can play some good footy. You'd expect the Blues to win that one. But um, then again, the Blues, you never know. Um, big match Saturday night. Um, Chiefs and Crusaders up in, up in Hamilton. So as I've mentioned, hard to, hard to beat in Hamilton. That'll be a that'll be another really good clash. Just a, a note that Sam Whitelock uh, won't be playing. He didn't. The All Blacks have had a training camp this week. He he hasn't taken part in any any training, so still dealing with his head knock. And also maybe Ryan Corty may not be playing as well, although he did train with the All Blacks. So um, over the over the Tasman, because uh, this is only the New Zealand and Australian conferences this weekend. The South Africans aren't playing this weekend. Uh, Reds Waratahs local derby there play, played up in Brisbane. You'd expect the Waratahs to win, but the, the Reds have been playing some pretty good football in the last couple of weeks, being on the losing end, but playing some good football. So, so the, again, that should be a good clash. Uh, Brumbies Sunwolves. If the, if the Brumbies travel back or right from South Africa, which can be a bit difficult, it's a bit of a long trip. They can't, you can be tired, but in Canberra should be too strong for the Sunwolves, who 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 only appear to be able to play well uh, up in Japan. 
and and the Brumbies have the, the Brumbies should win that. The South Africans are obviously taking a break, um, and they'll they'll pick up later on. But as you've pointed out before, we we now have the bizarre situation that the Lions are looking at the tables of the conferences. There's a big capital Q beside them. They're already qualified as, but they're yeah. second in the table, even though they have five points less than the Hurricanes in fourth, who are. 45 points versus 40 and the Hurricanes have played two fewer games than the Lions from the from the structure point of view it definitely favours the South African teams from a, a home quarterfinal perspective it does but anyway that's that, that's what we've got um, the, the, the South African conference started a week earlier than the Australian and um, New Zealand conferences so that's why they're having this week off so we have super rugby this weekend then we're into a break for the internationals that's how the next few weeks are, are playing out correct correct yep yep so looking forward to those internationals uh so staying down under but hopping across the tasman sea to australia wallabies captain john eels is to be honored Eels will be immortalised in a bronze statue in his home city of Brisbane, celebrating his 11-year career. You can pose for photos next to it, um, as though you're um, as though you're lifting him in the lineout. 86 caps for the Wallabies, captaining both the Queensland Reds, as they're now known, and the Australia national team. Well, yeah, they when he was playing, I don't think anyone had played 100 around that time. Um, he won two World Cups. And he won, he captained the Queensland Reds to a super title or two. So he, 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 I remember him as a very, very good player. I don't know if you remember him kicking the goal at the very first test match at, at the Cape Town. But um, we went along, we were all excited, went along to the test match and the, and, um, the All Blacks didn't play particularly well and, and they blew a few chances and uh, with, with right on full time we were penalised and um, John Eel stepped up and kicked the goal from 40 odd metres to, to win the match. So, so, I mean, I mean, pretty impressive that the lock forward kicking the 40, 40, 45 metre uh, goal ruined our, ruined our sort of day. A man of man of many talents, and it'll be unveiled at before the Australia's Rugby Championship Test game against South Africa in September. A nice recognition for the contribution of John Eels. Thanks very much, Mike, for joining us and looking forward to some exciting games in the Super Rugby Championship this weekend. Talk to you next time. Yeah, OK. Thank you very much, Phil. Have a good week. See ya.